0: Hello, my name is Yemi Vermeero, and I'm the director of One Man and His Shoes.
1: Hi, I'm Will Thorne, and I'm the producer of One Man and His Shoes.
0: What Michael Jordan was able to do was take it to that Babe Ruth place, where basketball had become ingrained in the country's entire consciousness.
2: The Air Jordan was something that transcended all these different borders that hadn't really been transcended
3: before. The shoes gained very quickly a huge street value in American culture. And all of a sudden overnight, it was just like everybody wanted them. What the hell is a Nike doing? We're now the 80s, and we're putting a black guy on television to sell shoes to white America. What he did in terms of global marketing and giving other black athletes a blueprint to do that was quite revolutionary. David Falk, to his credit, said, I got a name for this thing. It should be called Air Jordan. Michael always tells me it's the first and the last great idea i ever had. (laughs) It was like what the Beatles were, people screaming. And then you had Michael Jordan. You had Paul and John rolled into one. They'd hoped to sell $3 million worth of shoes and they sold 126 million the first year.
1: No one did for marketing what Nike and Michael did for marketing,
3: nobody.
0: Everything he was doing correlated to those shoes. And we bought into that because what was the tagline they were selling us? Is it the shoes?
3: You said, yeah, man, I can't be Michael Jordan, but I can have this piece of what he represents.
0: The demand of his product and product with his name on it here reached a point where crimes were basically being committed. Nike, they have a responsibility in this, and they have to do something. And if nothing happens, we'll see more cases like this. You'll see more mothers and fathers like me.
3: The real problem is They don't want to address it in a meaningful way. If the Air Jordans are in the image of Michael Jordan, shouldn't he have some say about what's going on?
0: I am in no way, shape, or form blaming Nike for my son's death. But they can say something.
2: That is the trailer for the recently released documentary, One Man and His Shoes. And this is Factual America. Actual America is produced by Alamo Pictures, a production company specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for an international audience. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood, and every week we look at America through the lens of documentary filmmaking by interviewing filmmakers and experts on the American experience. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures to be the first to hear about new productions, to find out where you can see our films, and to connect with our team. Michael Jordan is largely considered the greatest basketball player of all time, but he could also be considered America's first black cultural icon, blazing a trail for other African-American athletes like LeBron James. Besides his performance on the court, Jordan rocketed to fame on the back of a clever and innovative marketing campaign to sell sneakers and a shrewd business model that made him a billionaire. However, has success come with a price? While Nike and Jordan have made billions of dollars, they have also created a shoe culture that sees some misguided youths literally killing each other to get their hands on the latest pair of Air Jordans. Yemi Bemaro and Will Thorne capture all of this in their recently released documentary, One Man and His Shoes. We recently caught up with Yemi and Will from their homes in London and Berlin. Yemi Bemiro and Will Thorne, welcome to Factual America. Uh, Yemi, how are things? Are you in in London?
0: Yeah, yeah. well, I'm just outside London. I'm sort of uh, near Kingston, a little place called Surbiton. um,
2: I know Surbiton, I've been there.
0: Yeah, yeah, quite leafy. Um, Yeah, Yeah. I live live, uh, in Surbiton. Yeah, so not far from London, sort of like zone
2: Five and six or something. <laughs> this is something that anyone from, not from London is not going to understand. But that's yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but having lived there many years, it, it, there is a there is a big difference. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Will, are you in uh, Berlin of all places?
1: Yeah, I'm in mean, Berlin. It's actually a bit later here than London, which is why it's so dark. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, and and for uh, every transparency's sake, uh, no pun intended. Uh, you've. We've made uh, we've made will switch rooms because of the because uh, <laughs> of sound issues. So uh, so Berlin,
1: so it's the, the techno nightclub vibe. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, it is kind of a Berlin scene, I think. and uh, but you guys keeping safe
0: uh, where you're at? Yeah, yeah, we're all good. Um, yeah, I've got a three year old, so I'm kind of got my hands full day to day with her. So um, yeah, excellent. Well.
2: Hey, it's uh, thanks for coming on to the uh, the podcast uh, again. As you've as uh, listeners have heard and heard the trailer, we're we're talking about the film One Man and His Shoes. Uh, I want to again thanks for coming on to the podcast. It's the first episode of uh, season two, and I wel- want to welcome back our listeners. Uh, to uh, we've got a great lineup uh, for this year, but uh, we've got a bit of unfinished business because. Uh, we've been wanting to get you guys on for a while now. We were supposed to meet up in March in Austin, Texas at South by Southwest and that didn't happen as we all know. It's been a crazy year. Uh, so maybe you can give us a little update. Um, Yemi, is the film premiered yet?
0: Uh, technically, yes. Yeah. Um, but it depends on what territory you're referring to. Um, I think that, you know, w- we managed to sort of get a sale, um, with the film, so we we sold the TV rights device Vice, Vice okay. TV. Um, so it's gone out in America and there's going to be a digital release of the film in August. Mm. Um, and the film will be going, uh, playing in Australia and New Zealand, I think this week. Um, right. So yeah, I, I it depends on which territory. I think the European sort of premiere is going to be at the end of August. Okay. Um, so, I think technically it has sort of premiered
2: so for our listeners out there we've we've uh, J- Yemi's just unveiled for you that we've actually yes, we are recording this in early August uh, we are releasing it in early September uh, but so it will be so by early September, anyone listening to this podcast should be able to access the film is that would that be fair enough to say
0: yeah, that would be fair
2: okay well it's great stuff i i Highly recommend it. I, I've, thanks for the, uh, for me, I got being based here in the UK, I got a sneak peek and uh, really enjoyed it. so thanks for that link. Um, Yemi, yeah, so for most of our listeners, they probably haven't seen it yet. Uh, maybe you can give us a, a synopsis. I know they've had the trailer, they've pretty well aware it's about Michael Jordan and, and related matters. But why don't you uh, give us a little synopsis of what this about the film.
0: The film One Man in His Shoes is about the phenomenon of Air Jordan sneakers, uh, sort of told by the men and women that were responsible for creating the phenomenon. I think for a long time, when I was thinking about this, this film, I was obsessed with how it happened and, you know, the, who was responsible for making it happen you know, because these sneakers mm-hmm. sort of, you know, they penetrated pop culture and they sort of like changed the landscape of everything when it comes to sort of like athlete and, uh, uh, brand endorsement deals. So I for a long time was obsessed with, you know, how that happened, the sort of, you know, the, the who was responsible in that and, you know, every, all the surrounding sort of like elements that, that went into sort of like Nike, you know, signing Michael Jordan to this really lucrative, you know, endorsement deal at a time when athletes weren't really getting endorsement deals like that. So the film sort of like details, you know, the cultural phenomenon, the sort of like the racial significance mm. of this of the sneaker, and sort of, you know, how African Americans, you know, like sort of change that brand into something that mm. you know is, is is something that we all know today. And then it's also about sort of like the darker side of, you know, uh, consumerism, um, mm. and 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 sort of like it explores. The, the this idea of you know young kids in inner cities across the states you know have mm-hmm. been getting killed or you know m- yeah. like murdering other kids for these sneakers and yeah. yeah i i was just kind of you know really uh intrigued as to sort of like why that story hadn't really been told before you know there's been lots of stories yeah. on uh like sneakerheads and and sort of like sneaker culture, but nothing yeah. specifically about this shoe. So mm. that's pretty much it in a nutshell.
2: Okay. I mean, if we can maybe give our listeners um, um, a, a little bit of background. Um, mm. uh, I mean, what we're, th- we're talking obviously about the US, we're talking about 1980s America, We uh, mm. even go back and film actually looks at the 70s as well. Mm. Um, but uh, what were things like before Michael Jordan?
0: In in terms of like uh, sneaker in endorsement deals, they, they didn't really exist. Like the NBA had, you know, the, the, the sneaker of the NBA was was Converse. Yeah. So Converse pretty much had that market um, like wrapped up, and they didn't really they weren't that adventurous when it came to marketing. Um, the, the shoes weren't great. There was just sort of like, you know, shoes that all the NBA players sort of um, wore. And, and, you know, I think Nike were a running company. They were sort of like renowned for sort of like making running shoes. And it sort of came at a time when their business wasn't doing too well and they wanted to sort of, you know, branch into basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, you know, they, they hired a, a scout a guy called Sonny Vaccaro who sort of had his mm-hmm. ear to the ground in terms of sort of like, you know, who were the young sort of like up and coming like college kids that, you know, were going to make it to the league. Mm-hmm. And this was all sort of like spearheaded by a guy called Rob Strasser, who was sort of like tasked with sort of like saving, uh, essentially saving the business of it, as far as Nike goes, you know, they were getting sort of like, trumped by sort of like Adidas at that time and and sort of like Reebok re- were doing really good in America and, and, and Nike sort of like lost their way a little bit so Rob Strasser was sort of like tasked with you know getting Nike into basketball um, and yeah like Michael Jordan was the guy that they sort of wanted to roll the dice on mm-hmm. and before that time that, you know, there the weren't, the, this didn't exist. I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, perhaps, who was like signed to Adidas, you know, he, he had a pretty lucrative sort of deal at the time. But I think it was annually about $100,000. Um,
2: I think that brings us to a good point to watch a clip from the, or listen to a clip from the film. And it talks specifically exactly about this, which is the, uh Sort of the pre-Jordan uh, era of shoe contracts, including a uh, a Converse ad that uh, is is, in retrospect, uh, is so cheesy. But yet, uh, it, no, there's nothing ironic about it. I mean, and I I'm I'm of an age and grew up there. I I, I remember this this stuff, yeah. and uh, it's quite uh, in, <laughs> in retrospect, has been cringing. But uh, but yeah, that, that's what it was. That's life in 80s America. So let's. Uh, Let's listen, or, uh, or if you're on YouTube, uh, watch watch that clip. Converse had all of our players, but they were not too keen on marketing. And then when Michael came along, Nike understood that this was an opportunity to use his connection to the league and his prowess as a basketball player as a stepping stone to to grow the industry.
3: There were obviously NBA players who had shoe contracts, but that was all relatively restrained. You know, a lot of them were for nine or ten thousand. Kareem was probably getting in the neighborhood of $100,000 a year. It wasn't seen as something where athletes were necessarily shaping culture, the way shoes shape culture now. And so this
2: idea that there's gonna be this whole marketplace of athletes, peddling shoes was just kind of unheard of and to some degree considered to be ridiculous.
3: (laughs) Pre-Jordan it was, you know, here's our shoe, you're endorsing it, we'll pay you to do that and that's basically where it ends. They would be in commercials, they would maybe get a shoe in their color but it was nothing special. It's reinforced for me and me. Hey, maybe it was made for both of us, must be magic. Now that's who this shoe was made for. <laughs> <laughs> the Converse startech with the unique unisaddle designs.
2: Yes, that's, uh, uh, well, f- for yours truly, that's a walk down uh, memory lane. But uh, I love the Clyde Fraser uh, bit. But uh, but uh, you, you mentioned before, Yemi, uh, about uh, Sonny Vaccaro, who's... Uh, who's uh, Well, he's a a big name on on many different ways in uh, U.S. basketball. Um, But Will, I think you have a story about uh, Sonny.
1: Well, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, Sonny was always in Yemi thinking, like, you know, this is someone we have to get for the story. You know, it's like a lot, a lot of the film kind of hangs on, you know, his his, uh, participation in the whole um, story of Jordan, really. but yeah, he wasn't the easiest guy to get hold of, um, and I think, I don't know, Yeah, you'll have to jump in, but maybe like two years, we're trying to chase him down, trying to get him on camera.
0: Um, yeah, it, it took about two years to get Sonny, and yeah, I'd say about, yeah, 18 months, two years, and... I think it's funny because the first time I ever contacted him, he was like, yeah, that's fine. Like you can come. And I was like, what? He was like, yeah, you can just come to my house and, and we can do this. And I was like, that's way too easy. And then I think like a few days later, he was just kind of like, oh, he's had, he had a family issue. And he's like, we we're, we're kind of like sort this out at another time. And I was just like, I was like heartbroken at that. And then I think after that, it was like literally me trying every six months. Um, to sort of, you know, check in on him and see if he'd sort of, you know, if he'd be willing to sort of go on camera. Because I don't think he'd, I mean, he had his own documentary. ESPN did a 30 for 30 on Mm. him called Soul Man. Right. Um, And, you know, he had that, but I don't think he'd ever been, he'd never been in any sort of like documentary where he was a a contributor, where it wasn't solely about Mm. him. And obviously I'm just some random guy from Southeast London that sort of like calls him up and just like, do you want to be in this documentary? Like we're making it independently. We've got no backing. I just kind yeah. of like, you know, but I, I think it was important to sort of get, you know, the surrounding cast on board. Like we had Peter Moore pretty, you know, on, on board pretty early and, yeah. and 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 they still talk, you know, and we we got Judy Strasser who's sort of like right. uh, Rob Strasser's um, ex-wife widow um you know so we got and then we got Jim riswold and, and these were sort of like mm. key sort of like architects of this whole thing uh Jim Riswold was obviously sort of like the Wyden and Kennedy executive that was you know That's responsible right. yeah. for sort of like this, the spike and and, and Mike ads yeah. so I just kind of thought that well if we can get all of these like amazing sort of you know these were sort of like essentially his teammates when it came to sort of like building this thing, um, then I kind of thought that we would stand a good chance of sort of like getting him. But I think the person that helped me out was uh, Roland Lazenby, who's Michael Jordan's biographer. Um, You know, his book is sort of like, it's like the Bible on Michael Jordan. Like It's called (laughs) The Life. And it's like the most definitive book that you'll ever read on Jordan. And, you know, he obviously interviewed Sonny a number of times for that book. And I interviewed uh, Roland quite early on in the process. Mm. I think in 2014 I interviewed him, and yeah. he was just like so gracious and lovely. And you know, he 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 was like, you know, I'll, I'll help connect to connect you. And you know, he 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 helped me out massively in sort of like you know get into Sunny. And I think it's I, I think a lot of the time it's about trust, you know, like and just yeah. sort of like knowing that you know not everybody you ask is going to be in your documentary, but you've sort of got to show a little bit of perseverance and sort of just know that you know there could be a slight chance that they might come round Mm -hmm. Um, and I think like I said we we had sort of like some of his key sort of like you know colleagues if you will who were also you know responsible for creating this thing at at, at that time so yeah so in short it took about two years but you know, it was completely worth it because, you know, him and his wife are just, they've been such huge supporters of this film. Mm. And, and yeah, they're truly lovely people.
2: Well, and I think it's, I mean, again, I was, it's actually a question I was going to have later when we talked to you more about the project, but I think this is appropriate time. I mean, you, you've talked about these people you've lined up. I mean, it's quite incredible. You've got uh, David Stern. I mean, he's unfortunately, he's, he's passed on, but you you got him on camera. You've got. Uh, uh, the one that struck me too is, especially another architect of this, uh, whatever we want to call this, uh, the, mm. the the thing that became Michael Jordan, the cultural icon, is is mm. David Falk. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these people were willing; they were perfectly happy to go on camera and and go on the record a, about about all this, weren't they?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that yeah, I I, I think David Stern still sort of blows my mind that we managed yeah. to sort of like get him. Um, because, it, yeah, and he was like really lovely. Like the mm. only request that they had is that we do it in New York and we sort of like do it in his office. But he was like, you know, really gracious and really interesting and, and, and so nice. And he's David Stern, you know, like it was insane that he was sort of like even giving us the time of day, but there were no airs and graces. And it's the same with David Folk. And I think these guys are sort of, you know, if we're calling them architects, this is their legacy. And I think, you know, we've all got egos and I think whenever anybody sort of like, you know, can you talk about your legacy? Of course I'll talk about, you know, yeah. this thing that I helped create because it's, you know, I'm proud of it. And I think, I, th- I think there was a little bit of that involved, but you know, there was no ego with any of these guys. I think they were just really proud and, you know, they had stuff to say that was interesting and they, they believed in the project.
2: Yeah, I think this is, uh, we've got an, a second clip that we're gonna show that's uh, not, occurs in the film pretty soon after the first one we've just seen where, uh, but it, it, it features David Falk certainly talking about what, uh, sort of the roots of making Michael Jordan a uh, basically a marketing icon. So let's uh, listen and or watch that uh, clip now.
3: By the end of year three, they'd hoped to sell $3 million worth of shoes heading into year four. That was their expectation. And they sold 126 million the first year. Where I think we made a mistake is we didn't put a cap on it. And we didn't say, okay, after so many thousands of pairs, the royalty rate goes down. The thinking was, look at if he sold that many shoes, great. As it turned out, that's what happened. They sold so many shoes, they didn't know what to do with it. And Michael made a lot of money. Now, if I would have known that, I probably would have asked him to pay him a dollar a year and 50-50 on the royalties. Now, had we done that, maybe they wouldn't push the line. The most important aspect of his deal wasn't the money or the royalties. I forced him to spend a million dollars in the first six months to promote him. I think we agreed that we would pay him close to a million dollars and that we would put close to a million dollars in marketing. And then the fun stuff started. And
2: the fun stuff was, how are we gonna market this guy?
3: We all talked about how he used to soar in the air. David Falk, to his credit, said, I got a name for this thing. It should be called Air Jordan. Rob immediately wants to use the name. I said, well, why don't we think about it for a little while? There's an airline called Air Jordan. But no, Rob Rob was going with Air Jordan. Michael always tells me, it's the first and the last great idea i ever had. (laughs) After that, I went and saw him in Washington, D.C. In that conversation, he told me that he didn't want to wear red, white, and black. And when I asked him, I said, well, what's the reason? He said, they're the devil's colors. I said, well, they're the Chicago Bulls colors, so you better go talk to the guy that owns the Chicago Bulls, because I can't change them. He wanted to wear Carolina blue, which was the color of his school. And I said, we'll make you a pair. You can wear them on Saturdays, but they're in red, white, and black. You know, that's just the way it's got to be.
2: All right, so um, you've just we've just heard David Falk said the best thing. What was is, is Michael Jordan says it's the only, or the best and only good decision he uh, or th- uh, thing he did was uh, was on the marketing side. Uh, but sort of the rest is history. So Michael Jordan's a culture icon. He becomes the greatest of all time. Air Jordan's pulling billions of dollars each year. Um, I think the African American community sort of latches on to Air Jordans as a success story, as a as one of their brands. Um, people are saying he's, you know, Jordan's a trailblazer in terms of of marketing. What he's done, uh, blazing a trail for other African American athletes. So, um, but you know, this I thought it was an interesting point that um, we're not trying to give away too much of the film, but this this role that Spike Lee played in all this, and maybe mm. this wouldn't have even happened without Spike Lee. Mm, uh, mm. How, what do you think about that Yemi?
0: I think that I, th- I, think that's, I think Spike Lee is the genius of sort of like Nike in terms of you know being like incredible at marketing you know they, they, they understood that there was no there's no work in having this this like incredible product if you know you're not going to market it in a way that's going to appeal to young people um, and, you know, they were doing that in the late 70s and early 80s. And I think, you know, they just were really good at connecting the dots. You know, they took this sort of like young African-American sort of like indie filmmaker mm. and, you know, whose like first film had sort of like resonated in New York. And then they thought, well, you know, how about we pair him with, you know, this sort of like rookie and who's got this, this shoe. And I, you know, it was a match made in, in heaven. I think those two things are just synonymous, you know, like, and I think those adverts um, are just genius. I, you know, I think Jim Rizwald, uh talked a lot about how, you know, groundbreaking those sort of, those, those ads and those commercials were. And, and I don't think we've really seen anything like that. Since I think everything has been sort of like an imitation of that in the kindest way, you know. But I think they were so groundbreaking. They were so uh, funny. They had humor. It, you know, like like MJ didn't even speak a lot in those commercials. It was kind of like Spike just doing all of it. And you know that they were shot in black and white. And you know, you'd never nothing had been marketed like that before. Like yeah. you know, we spoke earlier about the Converse ad. It was just you know just so on the on the head it was so kind of like sterile and sort of like a bit clinical but I think these ads had humor and that was you know that was because of Spike and you know Jim Riswold and then also just you know how courageous and sort of like adventurous Nike were with just sort of like just taking a risk and just You know, thinking to themselves, "What the hell? Like, what's the worst can go wrong?" We kind of like know that the benchmark is here when it comes to sort of like sneaker, sort of like commercials. So, you know, we're not gonna, we can do a little bit better. So,
2: I mean, as someone who went, who lived through that era, and you've you've done an amazing job capturing sort of the zeitgeist of of nineteen eighties and nineties America. um, Mm. I mean. And uh, maybe Will has something to say on this. I don't know. You, you guys, you use a lot of archival. I mean, in a great way. I think you use it very well. I mean, uh, that's that's not cheap stuff to use. I imagine. How did you did you have any struggles with that?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of credit card bills. Um, <laughs> um, about the archive, but just a quick thing on Spike Lee. The um, the thing I find interesting about Spike Lee. Um, and the kind of Jordan Phenomenon is, uh, it, I, I think that's one of the first things for me really was do the right thing. You know, I just remember it so clearly, you know, back in the eighties and, and when you first saw that film and it was, you know, I, I think that was, uh, you know, just sort of crystallized. Even for me as like, well, however old, old I was like, you know, sort of a young teenager or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and it was actually, I, I went back and saw a lot of the Nike adverts you know, kind of way after they'd they'd even sort of been out, um, and it, you know, it just showed how Spike kind of continued to sort of be in line with the brand and sort of helping push it yeah. Yeah. and helping it to sort of be in you know the cultural conversation. I suppose you know, mm. my Jordans, all of that. You know, for me, that was kind of one of my entry points into mm. you know this Jordan phenomenon from a personal point of view. So, you know, when, yeah. We kind of go off and make this film is because like it's coming from a place of like wow this brand we love it as well Mm. and yeah for me that was kind of i knew about jordan's before that film but i suppose that's the kind of concrete memory that's where i got on board and you know that's where you kind of go all right i'm sold (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. exactly Exactly. Um, Exactly. which is what happens to a lot of people but um Mm. yeah there's a lot of a lot of archive in the film um which you know um posed challenges you know, right from the start. I mean, I could talk for hours about the challenges on this film. <laughs> yeah, But we, we always knew, well, Yemi was always quite clear from the start, Look, you know, it's, it's going to have a bunch of archive because we're telling, you know, a story from, you know, decades ago, but also, you know, the kind of animated style, the way that it was all going to get brought together. Mm-hmm. That was always in the thinking right from the start. So we kind of knew we had a crutch of how to kind of, make it pacey, make it entertaining, you know, whip yeah. it along so it's not just like, a you know, eating a, your greens on a history story. But yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, some of it even goes back to the 70s. And I mean, this is a kind of decade-spanning documentary, yeah. So, yeah. which I think, <clears throat> I, I think you know, Yemi and, and Michael Yates did a great job with not just kind of what you think is traditional archive, but, you know, kind of everything, bringing it up into the present day. You, know, um, yeah. you made a
2: you made a good point there about even the the little bit of animation with some of the the stills and some of the archive i, I thought that was you know well done i mean the the intro's amazing i think um, yeah well,
1: you know, you know a, a little shout out to will Newell, who is our graphics and animator yeah I mean he's you know like one of the main sort of team members if you like, and um you know he sort of has yeah added his Gold dust, as we call it, <laughs> yeah. um, all over the film. And, um, yeah, and it, and, it, and it helps bring stills alive. As you say, archives, super expensive. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, one way around that is to use stills yeah. and mm-hmm. just put the still on the screen a bit longer. Yeah. Do something with it, you know? Um, So that's kind of you know page one of of, of using archive. Yeah, Um, you know, will was our kind of secret weapon to bring that stuff alive, and in the style of like you say, the eighties, the nineties. It's all kind of in there. It's all in the DNA.
2: Well, in the music too, but yeah. But back to the even the uh, um, like you said, the graphics and design. I mean, I think uh, it's not something yet. I hadn't even noticed. You know, a lack of archive video, certainly. There, but um, I think it's 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 got a nice fast pace to it. I think it's uh, it's um, it's and it's in keeping with the subject matter. Certainly, up through that first first um, certainly that hour, but that's kind of presaging a, a bit of a, another question I'm going to ask you. I I think if you don't mind, uh, this might be a little bit early, but I think this may not be a bad uh, jumping off point to uh, give listeners a, a little break. Uh, go make a tea or coffee or something and then come back and uh, listen to the uh, second half here of um, our interview with the filmmakers of One Man and His Shoes. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with Yemi Bemereau, the director and Will Thorne producer of the recently released doc, everywhere in the world now, of One Man and His Shoes. Now, we've been talking about the the film and the uh, creation of Michael Jordan, the cultural icon. Um, And if you were to stop at about minute 58 or so in the show you would be i don't think it would be unfair i think it's it's, it's extremely entertaining it could also be something that a marketing professor or business or you know business professor or business school might show a, a class you know bits of it a lot of discussions about business uh models and uh how how they achieved this you know very cutting edge at for the time certainly uh marketing of a, certainly then putting it in the historical context of an African American athlete. But I want to ask you, this, this film, is it, maybe it's an unfair to describe it this way, but to me, it seems to pivot quite not sharply, but it does make a pivot about the, that time. Mm. And was, was that intentional? Because then we are going to talk about some of the, what I will say is the sort of, like a better way of putting it darker side of, of this phenomenon.
0: Uh, yeah, it was intentional. I kind of felt that you couldn't, we couldn't pivot without sort of, you know, laying the groundwork as to what this phenomenon was and is. Um, and I think it's something that we grappled with for a long time, but we always knew that it was just part of the story. So as filmmakers, as journalists, it was sort of like our responsibility to sort of not whitewash history and sort of like not revise history, but, you know, just tell it how it is. Like, I think the, the last, the, the final act of the film is all fact. You know, I think you can sort of just Google any of that stuff. And, you know, you will come across hundreds, if not thousands of stories about, you know, young kids getting shot for Jordans. Um, Why they get shot for Jordans is, you know, that's it's, I think that's a bigger sort of like debate that the film is not about. But, you know, unfortunately, there is a a darker side to this phenomenon. And and it, it kind of like felt like our responsibility to sort of explore it because it's sort of, you know, and um, you know, it's an unfortunate legacy of the of of the sneaker.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, again, for me personally, I mean, you've you, you've the you know, it's thirty years. It's hard to believe it's been thirty years, but the, you've got the nineteen ninety Rick Tellender SI cover article, mm. uh, that's about the death of Michael Eugene Thomas. Um, mm. I, I came, you know, uh, like you say, you can Google all this stuff. Uh, there's some debate about numbers, but I've seen figures that somewhere around potentially thousand to twelve hundred kids a year are have lo- lose their lives or are victims of some crimes related mm. to mm. To, uh, to sneakers. Mm. Um, I mean, what? It, I gather this was really was this? Um, well, before I get to that, I mean, why why do kids kill each other for for sneakers? Why <laughs> is this
0: happening? I, I think these sneakers are jewels, man. They're jewels in these communities and, you know, they are, they, they sort of like symbolize status. They symbolize a sort of like an element of, of, of wealth. And, you know, like, I think when you have disenfranchised, uh, you know, people in, in certain communities that don't have a lot, um, I think that that stuff is just going to happen, you know, and I, yeah. I, I think you also look at the way these shoes are marketed. Um, you know, I think you, those, those early ads from the eighties are sort of like, you know, it's the shoes, it's the shoes, it's got to be the shoes. It's just like, you know, these things are just like, you know, life changing, uh, yeah. you know, life changing sort of like jewels. Yeah. So I, I, I think it, it i think that feeds into in into a lot of it you know but then i think there's wider sort of like socioeconomic you know mm. stuff about poverty stuff about you know disenfranchised you know members of certain communities you know you could talk about you sort of like inequality the wealth divide like you know all of these really like meaty topics but the film was never about that you know and and i think that those things are a film in itself we just wanted to basically you know convey that this stuff happens and this is an unfortunate legacy of this sneaker um i i think it would have been a bit weird to sort of like tell the story of air jordans and not talk about that Mm. because every Cause everybody knows it like happens. Like, you know, everyone knows that it still happens to this day. Like it's, you know, rappers talk about it in their songs. Like it's just part of the ether. Do you know what I mean? That Jordans are so precious. And so like people regard them with so much, uh, you know, with rose tinted glasses that this stuff just happens, you know?
2: So, I mean, you've, you've, Basically said on oh, no, a number of occasions, but the whole the whole point of the film was to basically, or or maybe Yemi, you can touch on this, was that there's this obviously it's Air Jordans are part of hip hop culture, all kinds of different you know, rap songs. Uh, we've now got thirty more than thirty years worth of uh, of uh, of Air Jordan um, that have been come out. It was just to document this in sort of all in one place that this is. This is how it happened, and this is the phenomenon as it stands now. Is that essentially what the, the purpose of the film was? Or well,
0: is? well, yes, and I kind of feel, I, I think the easiest way to think about it is this. I think if you think about Air Jordans as the Ferraris, the Ferrari of sneakers, yeah. I wanted to know how did Air Jordan become the Ferrari of sneaker? Right. So I think that that didn't just happen. You know, there were lots of sort of like moving parts that sort of like led to that to that happening. Mm. It was it was perfect timing. It was sort of like nineteen eighties mm. America. Okay. Uh, 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 you know, it was what was happening then. It was sort of like Reagan's sort of like America. Sort of mm. you know, it was like Reaganomics. It was sort of like this big boom in in America where it's just kind right. of like everybody's out to get rich. And I think you had the emergence of like big brands uh, like McDonald's, Chevrolet, mm-hmm. Nike, and mm-hmm. you know it's understanding the time and sort of almost like the building blocks that led to yes. this all happening. And and I I was interested in that because I'd never seen anything that had done that. I'd never seen anything that had looked forensically at sort of like the economics of Air Jordans, like. Mm-hmm but not just the economics, but sort of like the cultural currency of of Air Mm -hmm. Jordans and sort of like how this penetrated pop culture and sort of like changed the world and why, you know, 35 years on, we are still talking about this sneaker after this guy retired like over, you know, 15 years ago. Like why are we still having these conversations and why hasn't anything eclipsed this sneaker? You know, and nothing has nothing to clip this sneaker because he was the blueprint. You know, Nike's relationship with Michael Jordan was the blueprint to everything. That's the reason why you have Adidas and uh, David Beckham that's the reason why you have LeBron James and Nike. That's right. the reason why you have Steph Curry and Under Armour, you know, mm. because mm. It, Michael Jordan and Nike was the blueprint to everything. And it's not just in sports, it's just across the board. You mm. know, I think it's just kind of like, let's take a pitch man to sort of like be the face of our brand that mm. didn't happen before Michael Jordan and Nike. So I was obsessed with the, you know, the forensic for, I was obsessed with how that happened.
2: Yeah. And I, and I, I well, I, I'll just add. I think your passion comes through uh, in the film. <laughs> oh, I, I'll call it passion instead of obsession. But uh, the uh, um, you um, in the film, um, you uh, it's just for clarity's sake. And I've got some journalism background. Um, those numbers I put out, I, I agree they are. I, I, I tried to look for confirmation of where these numbers come from, and I kept following link after link after link, and couldn't actually find the source. So it's just a number that's been thrown out there, but I think, as Will very well put, uh, whatever the number is, it's there's no and you guys both of you have said there's the facts and it happened thirty years ago and it's still happening. So this there's this issue with with the with the uh, with, with Air Jordans. Uh, you focus on the uh, is there a reason you focused on the Joshua Woods case in particular? In,
0: in- I think- Yeah, I think that that case sort of was the one that traveled here. I I think I remember reading that story in an English newspaper. Uh, It may have been The Guardian. It may have been I I, I don't know what I I think it was The Guardian. And I remember reading that thinking that's insane that, you know, because it wasn't just local, it wasn't just a story that happened in Houston it was, it wasn't just a a story. It wasn't national. It wasn't a story just happened in America. It sort of like traveled. And, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. sitting in my room in Southeast London reading about, you know, this 21 year old, like, you know, young person that sort of like got murdered for buying a pair of like Air Jordans. So I think that's why it sort of resonated with me because, you know, I, I, probably could have you know checked local news and found you know a number of stories but it was the fact that you know journalists in a british newspaper were writing about it and and i just happened to sort of like come across it and then i also think that you know uh, daisy daisy williams i think at the time when well, around the time that her son passed mm. she was very um she was very motivated to sort of like raise awareness about yeah. the fact that this had happened to her son, and that it was still ha- that, and, and this wasn't a new phenomenon. This is what you know. This you know, young people dying over Air Jordans wasn't anything new. Um, And she was very quite vocal on that. She had sort of like a Facebook page, and she sort of like had like mm. a little charity raising awareness about sort of you know, this sort of thing. So I was, yeah, I was, I kind of was, you know, I was kind of interested in her activism, so to speak. And then when, and then when I spoke to her, she was, she was kind of really surprised that, you know, someone on this side of the world had, you know, had knew about the story. Um And yeah, it kind of, what followed was sort of like three or four years of, you know, going back and forth to Houston to sort of like talk to her, and you know, her just allowing us in, basically.
2: Um, as you as you point out, I mean, I think she's she and others are are quite eloquent, and I think you play this, uh, as they would say here, as I'm based in the UK with a straight bat. Um, I think um, you know, uh, but you do pose or questions are posed um, uh, about. Uh, Nike and also uh, Michael Jordan. um, About uh, you know, I know Michael. I think sent some Air Jordan Twenty Eights to Joshua's sister uh, after the incident. I know he's in other cases has uh, sent his condolences, but. Is this something you guys have a position on about what you think Nike and Michael Jordan should be doing in these cases, or did you just want to pose that out there to let us as an audience to kind of come up with our own conclusions?
0: I I think, me personally, you know, I, I, I think as as filmmakers, you know, we'll jump in if if you think differently, but we were really um, passionate about not telling the viewer what to think. You know, we didn't want to spoon feed anybody and say, you know, this is what we think. Therefore, this is what you think. I think we were just interested in presenting the facts and sort of, you know, like, you know, giving the people in the film that, you know, these things happen to agency just to tell it how it is, you know, like Daisy said what she said, like no one, I didn't tell her what to say. Like that's how she felt. Um, And I think, yeah, and I think having, having spent time with people like Daisy, like we spent time with other sort of um, other parents who unfortunately lost children um, over this thing. I think that the overriding thing that I took away from speaking to them is that you know, they weren't necessarily blaming sort of like Nike, but I think they wanted some acknowledgement that this has happened. I think that was the thing, you know, especially with Daisy, she just wanted acknowledgement. She just wanted them to sort of like just come out and just say that, you know, this is, this is you know, you don't condone this and this shouldn't be happening. But I think, you know, I think she took their, perhaps silence as complicity in some respects. Yeah. And, and and I think that's the thing that, you know, that, that upset her. But I think as, as far as we go, as, as far as filmmakers, you know, it was really important that we, we not spoon feed anyone and there was no agenda to this, you know, like our entry point into this film was just like, we're just fans of, you know, yeah. this, this time and this, this brand. And we just kind of like want to tell this story because we've never seen it before. But, you know, as journalists, we can't ignore the fact that, you know, this is a footnote in this uh, shoes legacy that we have to explore because it's our responsibility as filmmakers to explore it it's not our responsibility to tell viewers what to think, but we think that we should present the facts and leave it, you know, up to, you know, whoever sees the film to make, to make up their own mind.
1: Um, yeah. Okay. And the whole time, excuse me. Yeah. And the whole time we were making the film, you know, we were very aware yeah. of what we were doing, you know, it was opening a can of worms, but
2: yes. yeah.
1: you know, we didn't set out to make a film, that was trying to answer the can of worms. We were trying right. to basically make a film about Air Jordans mm. and you know, the Air Jordan brand. And that mm. comes with a side order of a can of worms. You, know? right, right. Like, you can't tell that story without sort of telling this side of it. Um, and as like I said before, you know, this is not a new story. This is, you, know, you can go and you know, there's people all over the internet and they're kind of already arguing this thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. well they're criticizing, or they're completely Jordan's, or it's yeah. not, the, it's not the brand's fault. Or we'll Canadian, all, all of that stuff's there, and we kind of know. Okay, well, you know, yeah. that's 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 another film, <laughs> right,
2: right? Right. I mean, yeah, no, I think that I think that's a a, a very good point. I mean, I uh, think also,
1: uh, sorry, sorry the, the thing I was going to say. Um, yeah. Also, I think you know we, we knew that that was what we were doing, but I yeah. think. Um, you know, for me as well, producer, like the, these guys, it's their film, yeah. and, you know. And then when I watched it, it was it's very balanced. Obviously, yes. like, there's going to be marketing, there's going to be like you said yeah. to someone in the picture, it's about air Jordan's, and then it's about yeah. people, for air, you know, it's all sounds sensationalized. It's really balanced, especially when we get to that section. Um, I think, as you say, we straight back, we go, Here you go, we've pointed a camera, you know, yeah. something that's going on in, in this decade right now. Um, and then we discuss it afterwards with a bunch of those main players, you know, with those people that were there, and they get to say their little piece. Um,
2: yeah, and I think everyone, all the talking heads, everyone played it the same way. It, it was interesting. It was almost like mini straight bats, I felt like, you know, <laughs> to use that analogy. I mean, because you guys were doing, I mean, you're. I mean, it's, it's certainly my own personal taste in terms of documentary filmmaking, which is to document and let let the camera, you know, let the actors say what they say or whatever, but not try to, like you say, spoon feed, mm. uh, tell the viewers what they should think or conclusions mm. they should draw. Mm. Even the, but then the people you were interviewing were saying similar things, I think, mm. um, whether it's Rick Tellender, um, who's the young um, African-American um, uh, woman journalist who's, uh, she was- Jamil uh, Hill. Yeah, she was actually, mm. yeah. Yeah, she was very good, uh, you mm. know we know Michael Jordan's not Malcolm X, you know, I mean, kind of was one of the qu- quotes, I think. Um, a lot of people said it. Um, and I mean, you're well aware of it. I think probably some in our uh, audience will be aware that, uh, I mean, this has been going on. I lived in North Carolina in the late 80s and early 90s. And I, I um, um, even then, you know, anyone who had a, 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 the, the smallest of causes were like, you know what, I'm going to write a letter to Michael Jordan, and I'm going to get him to to, you know, there, there's been this call, this is mm. another episode, that's a whole nother mm. story and maybe it comes up mm. in a stance, but uh, you know, what Michael Jordan does or doesn't do in terms of mm. commenting on social mm.
0: issues,
2: um, mm. it's what he's done. He's, he mm. never has usually commented mm. on things. Uh, mm. And there have been a lot of people who've wanted him to, rightly or wrongly there, I'm not sure. But... Uh, mm. um, I mean, in terms of, uh, so this is a big year for docs about Michael Jordan, and I include yours as part of that. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, in terms of this project, I mean, you, you kind of alluded to it, I think you've tried, or I think, what is it, Roland uh, Lazenby, you were filming, what, 2014 or something. So yeah. how long has this taken to get this project to this, to this point?
0: Okay, so I, I, I started thinking about this project in 2012 I remember really vividly so it was November 2012 and I started thinking about you know I'd always wanted to make something long form and I started thinking about you know topics broad stroke topics that I was interested Mm -hmm. in and then you know initially this film was going to be about the phenomenon of sneakers you know it was going to be sort of like a, a, about sneaker collectors and about Air Jordan collectors but then I realized that that wasn't very interesting and I was having these sort of like internal conversations with myself like late 2012 early 2013 and then I sort of said well okay I'm gonna spend I, I kind of like gave myself a three-year plan I said that in 2013 I was gonna like somehow make some sort of like teaser to sort of like, you know, Mm. communicate this idea. Uh, 2014, I was going to sort of like spend the year like trying to raise some money to make it. And 2015, we were going to make it. So I I gave myself that, that three year plan at the end of 2012. Mm. And obviously it didn't work out like that because we're in August 2020 and we're sitting here and the film's only just come out. But yeah, I mean, it was, you know, like, Will will attest to this, like this is a truly independent endeavor. Like, you know, I think we started making, you know, we started making this film when I, I kind of like still documentary of this type weren't you know documentary wasn't rich like it was now do you know what i mean yeah, yeah um and and i kind of feel that <clears throat> didn't really get it because we're british filmmakers and we're in the uk and like you want to tell this story that's essentially sort of like you know all set in america with american contributors about michael jordan while you're making a story about michael jordan's sneakers just make a story about michael jordan like we heard everything but i think that you know, we always just believed in, in the story and, you know, we funded it ourselves. And Mm. the fact that the, you know, all of our sort of like contributors, all the actuality takes place in the States, you know, it was a long sort of like, you know, it was a long undertaking because, you know, it was, we, we were sort of like funding this ourselves. So I would say, you know, about seven years, it's sort of like, you know, we have been sort of like chipping away at this thing and and sort of, you know, trying to get it made. And then, you know, the last dance sort of like comes along and then everybody's like, oh, like Michael Jordan, this is like really cool. Like he's phenomenal. Like yeah. there's 10 episodes on Netflix about Michael Jordan. And then we just happen to have a finished documentary on, yeah. you know, you know, the phenomenon of Air Jordan sneakers. You like It was almost like we planned it, but we didn't. Yeah.
2: So, so people should be uh, beating a path to your door to get this doc shown, shouldn't they? I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I, <laughs> everyone's laughing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't know. I leave it to Will, but I think in terms of like uh, territories that are going to see it, you know, I think we haven't done badly in terms mm. of who is going to get to see it.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think just to pick up, like, so you know, obviously, Yemi's been on this journey for seven years. I think I'd probably checked in a year or so later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what, what you got to remember is you put basically all your money, all your time and spare time and effort, and you, you somehow drag a, a documentary feature film into existence over six years, seven years. And then you get into South by Southwest festival. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. And then it... you
1: export your film on the hard drive a week before you can fly. You you tell us, you tell South by Southwest, yeah, it's it's finished, it's it's coming, and you're editing. And in the week <laughs> before, you, you go, okay, we're, we're running out of time. <laughs> on the hard drive. Yeah. Go to Texas, and then they call you and say, "There's a pandemic." <laughs> That's pretty much how it went down. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think actually because of COVID, they, they bumped The Last Dance up. They actually brought it forward. Yeah. It was slated for later in the year, and then people yeah. were locked yeah. down, and they basically demanded, bring us The Last Dance. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so just when we were basically curled up in a ball, crying, thinking, oh, our big festival premiere finally, one moment in the sun, um, yeah, it was all over. We sort of, this, this came back on the scene and then, yeah, obviously then that, that, that made um, like Vice in the US sort of come and take a look at us and go, okay, perhaps we can put this out towards the end of the last dance. And we are kind of able to, that, that's how we kind of got the US. And now we're actually going to be out, we're releasing on, across all digital on the 25th of August in the US. As Yemi said, the Australians picked it up. I think it goes out on their players um, this Friday the 6th. We're actually, believe it or not, going to be in some cinemas in Holland, in Amsterdam. Oh, wow. I think that's the 27th of August. so, yeah, and, you know, we've we got a great um, sales team, Canoe Film, that, you know, Caroline, she's she's been out there. She's been – she's the, the film's been on her radio for a long time. She's known after the film, and she's sort – of, since the start of the year, she's been banging the drum. So, yeah, like, we're having very sort of, you know, meaningful talks with all the people you'd kind of want to – all the territories, you know. So I think it's going to – the great thing we were chatting about this the other day is that – you know, we pitched this film around, you know, we got custard pie. People said, no, it's it's a niche subject and no one's going to want to watch this. Yeah. You know, and it's like <clears throat> the, the, the Middle East just bought it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think that, so. Me- I think it's going to get out there. I don't think yeah. it's as niche as everyone. Thought. Yeah. It's, I,
2: I mean, it's hard to, I mean, having seen it, it's hard to think of it as niche, but, uh, but you know it's it you got it's an interesting journey you've guys have had because this pre, you know your your journey started pre golden age of documentary mm. it's pre because i was even going to ask you because you've done this you've done this purely independently mm. Whereas, um i think a lot of people now would be thinking oh i'm going to try to you know like you say get a sizzle get a teaser or something mm. go go around to netflix or mm. or whoever Mm. Uh, to, to pitch this idea. Mm. Uh, that might be the way, you might have done things differently, I don't know. but this is, this is like kind of old school uh, uh, by the way, way things are going now, old school way of uh, doing a, a documentary.
1: well right? yeah, just yeah. to jump in, I mean when, when you said about um, you know, the Joshua Wood's case, one, one of the reasons obviously you know, it, it did come internationally I remember getting a phone call off of Yemi saying, "Well, you know, I've just seen the story, and you know, I've just dropped Daisy Williams an email. She's she's come back, and she said it hasn't even gone to trial." Yeah. And I was like, "You got to get on the plane, Yemi. <laughs> get on the plane, You know, let's go start filming." Um, and actually, we, we cobbled together, you know, a little bit of money, and you know, got him on a plane. Here's a camera, off you go. Um, and during that trip. He actually interviewed, I think you interviewed Roland, you interviewed hmm. um, like uh, Ted Lander even that time. I think he, he interviewed yeah. four or five people and then did like a trip to Daisy. The, those interviews are in the film. <laughs> they're, That's
2: they're, amazing.
1: Yeah. Just, and and that, was, that was kind of, you know, Yemi had done a taste of by himself. And then when I got involved, you know, we were kind of like less expanded, kind of, let's start shooting it. But you know, mm-hmm. let's at least start shooting it and make mm-hmm. a more rounded taster, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he went off and you know did that stuff and got these interviews that lasted the test of time and you know really got the goods that time around, Even though it was maybe like we were thinking at that point, well, worst case scenario, we're going to have a really shit hot teaser here yeah. and we yeah, yeah. like not banked. Yeah, actually, we shot the film. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we got a lot of important interviews early on.
2: Which was yeah. you know, great. Um you, I mean you, you alluded to it just, just a f- few moments ago. I mean, people are like scratching their head, these two British guys going around trying to document the <laughs> one of the most quintessential American stories you can think of. And uh, mm. and I will say I thought you I mean, even that beginning intro bit where you've got the uh speeches of Reagan and and Bush Senior going mm. and you know and you just kept you know, he kind of timelines it and mm. the graphics and everything. I mean, well, how, <clears throat> uh, how, well, do you think there's been an advantage to having um, um, to being uh, well, not necessarily British, but being not non-American or an outsider and uh, and how is it that you are the ones that have come to document this and not not someone else, not someone maybe uh, U.S. based.
0: Well, that's, this is the thing. I, I've thought about this a lot. And I think, I think it just always goes back to sort of the entry point being just like fandom. You know, like yeah. we remember sort of like that era. We remember, you know, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. We remember the yeah. fact that Michael Jordan was the most marketing man in sports history with Mm. all of his endorsements not just Nike. you know mcdonald's Chevrolet, gatorade just everything and i remember sort of like being in school and just remember and just you know just knowing that there was this guy that was just basically the god of basketball and whenever i thought about the story i just thought like why hasn't anyone told a story about Mm. how air jordans became this phenomenon like why hasn't anyone told that story and you know I it I was always every year I would sort of like have this like anxiety that someone would Mm. like tell it but like no one would really tell it in the way that you know we had planned on telling it like you know which would be this blow by blow account you know Mm. that wasn't you know oversaturated with the sneakerhead thing because obviously that's a that's a huge thing but I wanted sort of you know what was going on in society? Because all of these things were building blocks that fed in to how the phenomenon came to be. You can't really talk about, you know, the balls and sort of like, you know, Jordan and sort of like night without talking about the context of the time. And then, you know, just because I've always been obsessed with America since I was sort of like, you know, me and my sister grew up on a healthy dose of sort of like American sort of like TV when we were right. kids. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I I kind of like had this this you know this understanding of you know and fandom of sort of like us culture Mm. and i think all of those things just like fed into you know the the making of this film so I, i don't know why someone else didn't tell this story but in terms of like our lens in terms of my lens in telling this story it's always come from a place of fandom it's always come Mm -hmm. from a place of intrigue it's always come from a place of fascination it's always come from a place of sort of like appreciation you know of of this of this thing um and and yeah i just kind of thought well if we can get you know the key architects like you know i want you know i want to talk to jim riswell i think it's important that we talk to Sonny. it's Mm -hmm. important that we sort of like you know talk to these people that were in the room that can give us an understanding you know how this happened because they were responsible for creating this phenomenon that has sort of lasted you know you know this long yeah. um and and i think that was always the obsession just to sort of like get these men and women to sort of like tell this story because i always found this story fascinating and i thought that other people would as well
2: yeah i uh, think uh, uh, go I'm ahead sorry, will sorry.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I do. I do think there is something in the fact that you know we're outsiders. Yeah, I think there there, there might be something that I don't know. But I think <clears throat> you know, as Yemi said, or as I said earlier, you know, Spike Lee and the kind of do the right thing, and it, I think yeah, we sort of grew up as fans of the brand. I think that's again the, that's maybe the kind of USP that we've got is that yeah we sort of looking maybe in at this brand or as, as something that was maybe imported to us. And so it's this thing, you know, it's this is like kryptonite that comes in a shoebox, you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah so maybe that's, <clears throat> and excuse me. And, and the, that essence of it is what kind of combines anyone who loves Air Jordan or has that excitement or any, you know, that phenomenon, you know, yeah was affected by it or you know we can like, that's that whole kind of thing which is why it was always so stupid when people say it's is because there's someone in japan who's putting on air organs that yeah. i just connect with immediately and, and then that's, that's that was always the thing i suppose and you know if this thing's kind of going around and it just is a thing you know mm. you sort of looked in on it i don't know perhaps if you were from the us it's just more of an intrinsic part of you like it's too obvious i don't know mm. Um, but that really the entry point, and then you know, yeah, he's done a very good job of, like you say, like early with the Reagan. It becomes very layered. It becomes yeah. lots, lots of different stories, and you know, eras, and this all kind of yeah. like actually does feed into this one sort of, you know, brand. Yeah.
2: And I mean, just so because um, it's hard to believe that we're kind of coming towards the end of uh, of our time together, but uh, you do say in the film you. I think you did reach out to um nike and and brand Jordan um, just to make that clear for the audience that you did uh, did did you get any reaction from them? I know they're not on camera
0: no i I think we just kind of like at maybe our emails like you know fell on sort of like deaf ears but yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it, it, I think it goes back to sort of like what I said before, you know, you can, not everyone you ask is always going to sort of like be in your documentary right, right. for whatever reason. And I think, you know, I was really interested in speaking to, you know, cause there are a few of the architects that were involved in all of this that still work at Nike, you know, and, and that's yeah. why I yeah. wanted to talk to them. But for whatever reason, we never heard back from them and that, and that's completely fine. Yeah. I think the, you know, the men and women that we do have in the, in the film you know were gracious enough to sort of like give us their time and sort of like tell us their stories and you know i thought i think i think it holds up mm. I,
1: I just
2: think, go ahead so, will no go ahead
1: yeah i think and of course like we, we had to you know reach out as journalists yes you know, like, like i said the film is balanced so of course and you know if Michael Jordan wanted to do an anyway, interview, <laughs> great, you know. Um, so yeah, like obviously we went down that route, but we weren't expecting a lot, we weren't yeah. so surprised. Yeah.
2: No, and I, I think, uh, but I, I just want to stress to, to the audience that uh, you have an amazing uh, cast of uh, characters. I think on on the in the film, uh, in terms of people who talk to camera and, and about their experiences, whether they were observers. Of American culture, I um, love the marketing professor that you have, um, but even the, uh, the 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 actual actors. I mean, you have pretty much everyone who is involved, except for maybe Bob Knight, the owner of of Nike. I mean, actually, they're going to you know on camera saying this is how it happened, this is mm-hmm. how we created this thing. So, um, I think. Yeah, well done. Uh, we-
1: you know, like like with a lot of docs, you know, we did a lot of interviews, you know, we we, we did do a lot of interviews, we we had to reshoot some, you know, mm-hmm. there was like, you, docs are so kind of, you're in the hands of the god, right, you can turn up and, you know, what you get is what you get, you know, the, these are real people, if like, they've had a bad morning, you, you might not get a great interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we had to do a lot to really, you know, get the gold that you see on screen, but we were very blessed I think that a lot of those main players you know mm. they're all characters they're all people that have you know been successful you don't kind of be an exec at night um without being able to kind of talk and hold your own and yeah, yeah. I think you know a lot of these people yeah it just shows you as well with docs it's interesting you know if someone's engaging on screen it can go a long way you know I yeah. mean our film's yeah. quite tight with the storytelling um so that that's great, but yeah we we were lucky to get some of these people sort of on a good day. you know yeah. they were willing to kind of tell us some of the stories,
2: yeah I mean it's a question I'm going to ask you, which you probably well you probably have thought of, but given all that's been going on and what your focus has been, maybe you haven't given much thought to this but what what's next for both of you in terms of now that you're finally <laughs> getting this released besides uh a well deserved break or or rest or whatever but uh, what what do you have next on in line
0: I'm I'm not sure I, I kind of feel that you know and and Will might be able to chime in on this I think one of the reasons you know why we wanted to make this 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 film in addition to the fact that we were obsessed with the story is that mm-hmm. You know, essentially, we're, we're first time filmmakers. And, mm. you know, no one was ever gonna give us X amount of money to sort of like go and make our first film. So we sort right. of like made it as we made it ourselves. But we kind of want this film to sort of like be a, a calling card. It, mm. it was always kind of, you know, we want to sort of like show people that we can coherently and sort of like creatively tell a story. Mm and it can stand up you know and and we can do it independently so i think you know if we get an opportunity to make a second feature (laughs) that'd be incredible and i think you know that is that kind of like was the objective of making our first film Mm -hmm. to sort of just kind of like say you know hello we're here we can (laughs) you know we've got stories we've got ideas and and we kind of want to do this because I think, yeah. you know, there's, there's a, there's a, I think there's, you know, it's, it's an interesting time in the world at the moment, you know, there is a sort of like there is a global reckoning and there's sort of, you know, like sectors and industries are sort of like grappling mm. with themselves into in, in relation to sort of like who does what and who gets an opportunity to do what. And hopefully our film, you know, shows that, you know, with a bit of hard graft with a bit of perseverance, that you can sort of, you know, you can sort of achieve, you know, what we've achieved. And hopefully it won't be as hard to sort of like get the second one off the ground because, you know, we've we've truly paid our dues making this over the last seven years. So yeah, I think making a second film is a, a dream and, and hopefully we've done enough with this film to sort of not entice people, just to prove to people that, you know, we can tell a story and we are competent filmmakers.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be quite exciting, the kind of, you know, um, getting up for battle the second time and seeing, you know, how much ammo we've got (laughs) this time compared to last time, which was was more ammo. And, you know, we, we've talked <laughs> around a few ideas and, you know, um, I've got a company, Breaking Films, which, this, I'm really yeah. proud. this is the first film to be released. Um, okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty shocked. <laughs> the first one out yeah. of the stable is, um, is, is doing well. So I'm very, I'm, you know, and, and yeah. I'm very happy with the film. Um, I got another film later in the year, but, you know, Docs, docs, are just a different beast, and yeah. you know, like yeah. I say, although we've kind of chucked around some ideas and maybe working on some treatments, and you know, I, I think there's a kind of and the reason I mentioned I'm breaking films is you know, like my whole kind of remit is just to sort of make um, entertaining and just engaging films. Really, that's right. kind of right. you know, I'm interested in good characters and interested in mm. good stories. Like it's not rocket science, you know. Yeah. And then you know, you want something that's looks good and sounds good and you yeah. know kind of has an air of um you know like Yemi's yeah, I mean, put his stamp on it and it kind of you know you watch it and you go, okay, yeah, this is a filmmaker's film, you know, this yeah. is yeah. there's yeah. there's an identity in the style. So yeah, it'll be very I mean, and just as a quick note, I mean I kind of mentioned it earlier, but um you know, we were racing to get the film done for South by Southwest. I know this is going out in September, it's now August. Yeah. Um I mean, we've only just cut a trailer a few weeks ago. We're kind of still, we're kind of still in right, fire right. a little bit. We're just yeah. kind of brushing off the flames um, as we come back down. So uh, uh, right now, I mean, we're talking about, are we going to go to Amsterdam <laughs> during this lockdown pandemic? <laughs> we'll
0: Maybe. Yeah. A bit wild. Yeah. It's a bit of
1: a crazy thing to do, but yeah. Um, Yeah, I think we're just looking to kind of enjoy the release now. Like I say, it's going to release in the US, you know, properly. Um, It's going to start going to these territories. Yeah, I think in the short term, it's just going to be good to see the film get out there and Mm -hmm. start seeing reaction. You know, once the audience start watching it, you know, they start writing their own version of the movie. It becomes Mm -hmm. its own thing, you know. you know we've done our best we've made like our film and you know i'm just looking forward to it getting out there and seeing kind of how it does and i think after that you know it'd be interesting to go okay well it did this let's talk about maybe going off and making this because you know or or people will hopefully come to us going hey we kind of like what you did we do some things let's talk you know that that's the kind of Basically Netflix, if you're
2: listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I think uh, we uh, many of us all know that that feeling. I mean, I think um, I I'm, I should just stay uh, state w- once again. I mean, for our listeners, this is uh, September, so you all have should have access to this film, and I highly recommend it. I think it's uh, I've, I've watched it twice now. It was uh, really enjoyed it, um, and I think it uh, I think it tells. I mean. What strikes me, because I now, one of my gigs is doing this podcast, um, and what has struck me in the last few weeks, especially all that's going on, especially in the US, but worldwide, and this year of uh, this bizarre year that is 2020, is that there's a wealth of stories still to be told. You know, we all thought well, everything had been said before, but no, that's mm. not true. In fact, there's so many stories to be told. And from unique voices that haven't been heard before, and I think that's this sort of democratization of what filmmaking that is hopefully happening. I know there's other issues and pressures, and you know we're not going to talk about distribution and that some of the challenges there, but uh that's what's that's what struck me and why I think it's such a a, a compelling you know medium right now um, mm. that um you know, we thought we knew about what happened in the the '80s and the '90s, and actually, you know, in retrospect, and you you guys have shined a a great light on it. Um, it made me rethink about you know a period of t- li- a time that I lived through. Really? Um, I now saw a little bit a little di- differently than I had previously, and that goes with so many of the films that we're um, have had on the podcast in season one, and now are hoping to have in. Uh, in uh, season two, so just want to thank you guys for uh, for coming to uh, coming on to Factual America season two, first first episode, um, mm-hmm. and uh, just to say, uh, I guess if people want to follow you, there's we'll put links in the in the show notes. But what's the best way of uh, um, keeping keeping a wrap on you guys?
0: Uh, i I have an Instagram. It's just uh, Yemi um, at Yemi Bamiro, and the same for Twitter as well, and yeah, all of my works on my website, uh, yemi com. So is is that
2: the site I've seen where you've got all these? You've went to the Bernabeu. Uh, someone's got some f- uh, shots of. Uh, yeah, that was me. Yeah, yeah. Real Madrid was that, yeah. uh, is that for another project?
0: Or? No, that was um, that was a job that I did last year for. Um, I did like a, a commercial. It was like a short branded film for Adidas and Real Madrid. So, wow. um, yeah, we sort of, it was an insane uh, job to be fair. Like, we went to sort of like El Clásico. Like, wow. we were like, yeah, like pitch side, saw sort of Messi in the flesh like um, it was yeah it was unreal um but yeah that was a really yeah that was a really bizarre sort of like surreal job because you know those guys are proper superstars and yeah (laughs) we got to hang out with them for like yeah on and off like two weeks and sort of like make this film about uh yeah their new their new Kit launch um, yeah. and then it's kind of like pretty cool because now they won the they just won the league they've won right. the league now, so yeah, it sort of came full circle, but yeah, that was a cool gig oh excellent yeah, yeah cool. but everything's on that on my website okay, excellent,
2: and will how, how can we keep uh... Keep track of what yeah, you're
1: you can. Like, um, I, films? Think I was just, I was just searching it. I'm such a granddad. I was like, <laughs> um, and actually, don't,
2: don't worry. We can just, we'll put the links. You, you send us the links later, and they'll be in the show notes. Well, actually,
1: <laughs> the funny thing is, I think it's just Breaking Films. I think it's Indeed. my company can, so I should have <laughs> known anyway. I mean, <laughs> Breaking Films. The, you know, the website, but also mainly Instagram. I have got a Twitter I probably should start using that a bit more uh, actually as, as we'll be doing a release I think I'm gonna to have to dive into all this stuff but yeah Instagram is probably the, the better one.
2: Okay. All right. Well thank you once again. Uh, you so guys. For, for I, It's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, remind everyone the film is One Man and His Shoes um, and we'll have links and things in the show notes in terms of how you can, can find this film. Um, so thank you yet, uh, yet again, Yemi Bamaro, director and Will Thorne, the producer of One Man and His Shoes. Um, I want to uh, send a shout out to This Is Distorted Studios here in Leeds, England. And please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America, This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.